our first headline headline gig at the Eagle Inns back in March and hearing people sort of chanting our names afterwards, which was just, you know, after a sellout crowd, it's just these surreal moments that really spur you on. Played our first golden hours with our songs. We haven't released yet. Having people sing along and sing the, the chorus back to us was incredible. Now, Rob, has your musical knowledge improved since then? What me and you, Luke, consider music knowledge and what most people consider music knowledge is slightly different to what my friend on my right thinks why do you think that is such a big problem in the music industry nowadays yes you get paid for it but it's more a form of advertisement than a product you described the malibu when you when you wrote it as being written as during the, one of the lowest points in your lives. I mean, on a scale of 1 to 10, how bad was it for you in that period? I don't sound dramatic, probably 11. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Better Discussions with me, Luke Keirhane. This is the podcast where I talk to people who come from interesting backgrounds, have interesting hobbies, or hold unique beliefs. This week, I'm speaking to two friends that I know from Manchester University, Rob Cooper and Tom Wood. Together, they form the acoustic music duo Champagne on the Rocks. We discussed a whole range of topics, from their own personal struggles during lockdown to the threats to the music industry today. But most importantly, we discussed their recently released debut single, Malibu, which according to one review has been described as a sunny tune with infectious melodies. So here it is, enjoy it. So, boys, Champagne on the Rocks. Uh, it's been a while. I think I think it's been at least two years. I think. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, like Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Probably about yeah two two and a half years. I sort of want to start with you know how did you guys start? What was your initial impressions of each other when you started to work with each other musically? You know, tell me a little bit about how it how it began. Yeah. So um, I was looking for a band. I've I've been trying to put one together for quite a while, and um, yeah. So. I was messaging around looking for a lead singer. We uh, we got in contact through our mutual friend Ellen Wardman. Big up Ellen Wardman. Big up Ellen. We got all together. We all got together in a little practice room. Uh, the it kind of went a bit, bit yeah. west. Though, yeah, it went a little bit west. So Robin had found a drummer and a bassist as well. Um, the drummer overslept and just never showed up. And Harry, the bassist, like full credit to Harry. He's a great bassist, but we yes. just didn't quite gel. So he's off doing his own thing now. Um, and we just started working with each other, just the two of us. Like my first impression before I'd actually met Rob, when it, like we were messaging, he was sending us through like some covers for us to start off doing. And I was like, no, nah, you know what? Like this is this guy's sound. He's got decent music taste. Like I can vibe with this. Like this is stuff I listen to. So it was, um, yeah, it was a it sort of got off between the two of us on a on a good foot. But I think I messaged you after something like you know. Like- you want to come to my house and write some songs or something like that so we kept in contact after it and just gelled really well like I remember thinking Tom was everything I wanted in a front man you know not just in terms of the looks but in terms of the musical ability as well yeah yeah of course of course <laughs> I, 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 only, I only have one so <laughs> so it was sort of a I guess a conscious decision as well as something that you just fell into I mean it's a bit of the both I would base on that answer you know you you really liked each other in the first impression, but it, it, and it was a conscious decision to take it forward, but it was also something that you didn't expect to just be both of you. You know, you expected something to be a bit more of a band as opposed to a duo. We kind of fell into the gigging part of it. Um, yeah, we'd written about 
a full set at that point. We've written yeah. about 10 songs, we think, you know, what do we do with these songs? We couldn't, I don't think, we, we hadn't tried really hard, but we were struggling with finding bassists and drummers. So we just thought, you know what, stop it, let's get on stage, show off these songs that we've written that uh, we, we, we really like. And um, I think it worked well, because we are sort of the nucleus of the, the band really yeah. now. So when you played that first gig, was it very much you came out of it thinking, let's just do us two? Or were you still thinking, oh, well, you know, something might come down in, down the line where we could get a bassist or a drummer, you know? Or was it just purely based on, you know, that first gig that you thought, right, this is the direction? I think for take? a long time after that first gig, it was just, we'll do it as the two of us. Um, we really enjoyed doing it as just the two of us. We managed to... We managed to bring energy to the stage that a four-piece could bring just the two of us. Um, we managed to create a big enough sound with just the two of us. So, you know, definitely at the start, it was something where we were going, no, let's let's take it in this acoustic duo direction. And then it kind of evolved and our feedback from people kind of evolved into, um, like we think a drummer and a bassist could really elevate this to the next level. And that's when we kind of took that feedback on board and went in that direction. I think we, we were surprised as much as anyone else, like we got off stage and thought, you know, hey, that was really good fun. That went really well. Yeah, like we it worked. <laughs> it did work. Yeah, we, we had the energy and yeah, just loved it. So. Yeah, and and what's the song pro- songwriting process like in a lot of ways? Is it that one of you does the music or one of you does the lyrics or is it all very combined? It's very scattered. <laughs> it's, it's all over the place. I don't think there's one set process that we really, you know, we sit down and say, let's do this this way, this way and that way. It's very organic with us, I think. It's very natural. It just sort of flows out, really. Yeah, I think organic is a very good way to put it. Like, every song that we've got on the set list um, has been written in a slightly different way, in a slightly different order. Um, You know, for instance, Malibu, that obviously we've just released, that whole song started with the guitar riff. Mm. Um, that intro to guitar riff, which is so catchy and so groovy, which Rob brought to me. Yeah. And we spent so long writing these verses for it. It took us for ages. And we, you know, we write everything together. So we were banging our heads together trying to get these verse lyrics. Mm-hmm. And then I came up with some chorus chords and this chorus and this bridge just flowed out within the space of an hour. And, you know, and then you jigsaw it and put it all together. Yeah, so um, cut and stick really yeah definitely and then there's, there's other songs like from way back when we first wrote burning bridges we had to rewrite the whole song again because we lost the damn thing yeah, yeah. Oh, what would you mean you lost it as in you forgot it we, we lost everything we'd written it down on and all <laughs> like all the like like voice notes gone lyrics gone like like we had to remember like rewrite the whole thing from the course after that we started to decide to write stuff down and keep it in like <laughs> a proper book and make sure it's safe <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I will move on to Malibu in a bit, but uh, before we get on to that, I just want to talk about a little bit about how your journey has developed. And I know we we spoke um, about a couple of years ago now, and that was at a time when you were starting off, really. Um, you played a few gigs here and there, but it was still very early days. And I sort of want to know, how has your musical journey developed whilst being together? And, and you know, what were you like then compared to how you are now? For me, personally, I think I'm... Out of the two of us, I'm probably the more introverted one. Yeah. Not, not, not especially, I wouldn't say. but um, I'm just more especially extroverted. Yeah, you're very stagey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, a massive part of this journey for us in the past couple of years since we la- last spoke, Luke, is that we've done so much more live. And also, we've, we've both gone through a lot as people, sort of, you know, everyone went through COVID. 
and that presented its own challenges that everyone had to overcome in that time period as well. But a huge part of our journey in the past couple of years has been live. It has been shows and it's bringing that energy that we've then brought to other aspects of sort of the act or even sort of the brand, if you will, like on social media or in the studio and stuff, that development that we've gone through on stage has sort of really shaped us as artists to who we are today. But for me, definitely, my, my confidence has come on and I feel more at home on stage. Um, like, there's obviously, you always get self-doubt as a musician. That's always going to be something. But it's a way of healthily dealing with that and then getting up on stage, relaxing. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm up there with my best mate, you know, having a good time, really. It's really been that relaxing into the role, I think, for me. What, what sort of self-doubt did you go through, Rob? Uh, for me, just... Professionality, I think, was a big one. And, you know, there's a lot of really great guitarists out there, really great musicians that we've performed with. And you sort of, you go from, you know, writing songs in your bedroom to being on stage with all these other artists who are more experienced. And, you know, like, credit to them, they're amazing. Like, there's nothing on them at all. But you do sort of, you, you feel like a bit of a lemon sometimes, I'll be honest, on the side of the stage. But um, it's, it's that sort of thing, I think. And wanting to be professional myself and I think I responded to it quite well and it's just pushed me to get better really um, that's, that's what well that's actually leads really nicely onto my next question which is you know has there ever been for you both an, an epiphany moment almost for which has made you realize something about your music or made you maybe change direction I know you, when you released Malibu recently and I, I will get onto this I promise <laughs> but um, you posed on Instagram and you you mentioned about how people were joining in with the lyrics in your songs you know things like that has there been those epiphany moments for you that has made you change direction potentially or realize something so yeah once they change direction it's more it's spurred us to keep going on um, yeah been quite a few really magical is probably the right yeah definitely moments this year um we played our fest golden hour was one of our songs we haven't released yet and having people sing along and sing the, the chorus back to us was incredible um yeah, that was that was really huge. I think it's almost on the opposite to having epiphany moments to making us change direction. It's it has solidified our view of the way we do things and what we're doing, which is it is it is working and people are taking notice of it and people enjoy it. Hearing people sing the lyrics of Golden Hour back to us when we've not even released it and they know it and they love it or our first headline headline gig at the Eagle Inn back in March and hearing people sort of chanting our names afterwards, which was just, you know, after a sellout crowd is just, they're these surreal moments that really spur you on um, and tell you, yeah, like this is, you know, this people like this, like people rally to this. So, you know, keep going. Yeah. There's a video from that, um, that box. We've got an encore and you can physically see me as we're starting to go into the, to Malibu, which the song was, you can physically see me lean into Tom and go, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously now you, you've graduated, both of you, um, and your status sort of grew and grew as being students in Manchester. How much of the sort of student music scene, how much was that a real help for you? Um, that's an interesting one, because when we started off in Manchester, we were, there wasn't much of a student scene I wouldn't say it wasn't well not an organized one anyway so stuff like so for the you know the past year we've done things like um like some of the charity gigs at the academies with the gigs and gigs and band society 
Um, Cut Loose was another great one with the Gigs and Band Society. And those experiences have been fantastic, getting to know other student bands and stuff and, you know, really giving us just more opportunities to perform, which, you know, has been fantastic and we've been really grateful for. But like Rob's saying, like there wasn't much of one when we started out, like at 18 when we did our first couple of gigs in Leeds as well. Like these were through just, you know, promotion companies that are putting on, you know, the professional bands already. And we've, we've had to go through them before we got to the student groups in a way, which I think, I think, I think really helped us. Yeah. We were sort of used to that more commercial edge really of going through established promoters and then going into the student scene was quite different really. Yeah. Um, so we were sort of work, used to working with, with people at that stage. So we knew what to expect, I think, yeah. which was good. But I think the student scene has very much, it, it definitely helped and it's, yeah. it was great to be involved with it and great to see it and see other people getting the chances to perform straight away through things like societies that we you know, had to work for because that wasn't available to us, which is really great to see. Yeah. Um, but we won't particularly miss it because like we say, we've, we had to do it before. So, you know, we can still do it. That's the next stepping stone, I think, for us, which we've yeah. been talking a lot about recently is, you know, really starting to bring in an audience from outside of friend groups, outside of student groups, and really sort of solidify ourselves as, you know, an established grassroots artist with a fan base. Yeah. Um, so from the last time I, I interviewed you, you were just you two, Rob and Tom. But now in your live performances, you've added a drummer and you've added a bassist. What was the impetus behind that decision? Um, it just it really helps the songs become what they were meant to be, I think. It allows us so much more also just stuff to play about with on stage. Like yeah. we like our set quite fluid, like we have a thing about silence as well. We'll generally during the set no silence, we'll make sure there's bits in between and always something going on. Yeah, so with well yeah, with twice the amount of people you can do that twice yeah. as easy. And you can sort of play around with the drums and the bass and have it kick in at different times to accent certain parts of it. And it's just, it's a lot more fun. Yeah, definitely. I think it opens up a whole new, it opens up a whole new um, area of expression as well for each song. Like you've got so many, you know, you've got two more instruments, so you can use them in you know, loads of different ways. It just opens up a whole door of possibilities. And one of our songs as well, Tequila Sunrise, is. It, it relies heavily on the beat, I think, because it uses... Um, now we've got it in, yeah. Yeah, now sure. we've got it in. So we sort of added a Spanish-style... Um, it's called a Dembow beat. So du- 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 that type of stuff. And once you stick that beat behind it, it makes you want to move. There's something about that rhythm that... When we did it as a two-piece, it was great. And, you know, you get people moving along to it. But it's that infectious rhythm that the drums really add to it. And it's, yeah. it's embellishing certain songs with, you know, the bass and the drums that really bring out something more in it. Does it does it bring potential confusion, however, to your gigs if you've got, you know, we're Robin, we're Champion on the Rocks, we're a duo, and then you have two backing musicians, you know, with you, and, it, and if it's sounding more like a band, does that not bring some confusion to your audiences about what is Champion on the Rocks? Not that we've ever encountered um, so far, at, le- at least to our faces, anyway. Um, we always said, you know, Champion on the Rocks is the two of us. We're the one that write, we're the ones that write all the songs. You know, we have this vision for us as as an artist and as a band. What it has allowed us to do is play with, you know, a few different people, a few different bassists, a few different drummers um, through circumstances when perhaps someone wasn't available or when we've just wanted to, you know, try playing with a new person that we found. And that's been really good. Every different session drummer or session bassist we've had in has, the song will have, diff- they'll have a different vision of it. 
and how they hear it and what they think works. And but you know, social media and image wise, ever since we brought you know, ever since we brought the the band in, but even before that, we've we've always been sure to say that you know that this is this is us. Have you got specific targets in mind in order that you want to achieve in a certain amount of years? You know, do you want to achieve certain targets? Or do you sort of see that, um, you know, you're just sort of in for the ride and you want to see what, what comes your way? Or, you know, what's the strategy here? So we have quite, we have slightly different views yeah. on this, which, yeah. which kind of help each other out. But I'll let Rob go first with kind of his view on it all. Yeah, we, we operate quite differently, I think. I, I work really well to goals and I, I'm the dreamer, if you will, really, like, I work really well if I have a set amount of time to do something, I know I've got to do this, that, and whatever. So, like, you know, I, I have certain venues I've always wanted to play, things. So, first direct arena in Leeds is one thing. I've, that's on the list. Um, albums, you know, European tours. You know, these are big, yeah. big things. Like, um, so, yeah, those are my sort of big end-term goals before I'm at a certain age. It's 26 at the minute. It's the, it's the sort of where I want to be at. So, I'm very... Set the goalposts, move the goalposts. So one step at a time. That's how I operate. But I've I kind of take more of the more of the view where right. This is the next month or so. Just keep doing what we're doing. I'm very much of you know everything we do gets it brings in a new fan, brings in a new fan, and it's it will be a snowball effect. Just keep doing what we're doing because it's working. Um, and that's kind of I take it very much more one one step one day at a time. Um, so on saying that, though, we were talking about this earlier, actually. The, the very big goal that we both have, though, which we, I think unites us really strongly, is, like you were saying, being like a hereditary artist. Of, yeah, heritage you know, artist. Heritage artist, that's the one. Making that music that's going to be allow, around, around for a long time and for people to enjoy for a long time, to inspire people to do it their own way for a long time. Yeah. You know, we don't just want to be a moment. We want to be a movement. So, I mean, in a lot of ways, do you see that musicians nowadays, as well as being able to... Um, release records and and do these tours and do these gigs and have these big audiences the fame near enough basically and and the the well-known status you think that musicians now also should have a a moral responsibility to um try and actively engage other people to to get to where they want to get and and act as ambassadors you know musician or otherwise any anyone with celebrity status with influence nowadays does have that responsibility to pave the way for the next generation of their craft because without the people that inspire you know it you know that craft dies yeah and as we talked about earlier building this community around the artist and i'd say they also have this responsibility you know of inspiring people to get out there do what they love and you know be a part of this community that is you know driven and motivated or aligns with the same values as they do i think so yeah yeah and i assume that's also come from the fact that you've been in that position you've you've when you started off, I remember you saying that you had you were supporting other other bands and you would listen to them and you'd form connections with them and sort of see them as like a an aspiration. And then now, I guess you know, I, I've seen that you, you you're headlining your own gigs and you've got people who are coming to coming to you for that. You know, how does that feel? How has that changed? And and how do you how are you grappling with that change? Um, we're getting on a bit. Yeah, <laughs> with the, it's bizarre. At twenty one and twenty two, yeah. the other weekend we felt very old because the gig that we did in Leeds for the first time ever, we were the oldest band on the uh, band on the billing. Yeah, um, I, least, back go I think you want to say experience, guys, not old experience. <laughs> experience. That is, yeah, we are wise old owls. <laughs> um, but yeah, so these other two bands, they were full of eighteen, nineteen year old lads, and 
you know, we were chatting to, you know, we were chatting to these guys and, you know, yeah, they were coming to us, you know, they got, you know, they were saying, you know, oh, like, love you set, like, you know, how, you know, how, you know, got any advice and stuff. And we, we, were, we were effectively just imparting the same advice that was imparted to us a few years ago and the lessons that we've learned along the way. So, you know, it just makes it, you know, it makes their lives that bit easier for them because, yeah. yeah. What was that advice out of interest? The number one is be nice. Yeah. No one wants to work with someone that's, you know, a plum sack. Um, you know, no one wants to work with anyone that's um, arrogant, cocky, anyone like that. So just be nice and just enjoy it as well. Yeah. Like the, yeah. meet people, make connections, listen to new music. So on our first gig, we were supporting Atlanta House. Yeah. Really decent set of lads. They were really nice. We were really lucky for, to be performing with them for our first gig. They yeah, were, we were. Lovely. And I remember they shouted us out at the end of their, their set. They said, you know, well done to Champagne on the Rocks for getting their first gig. And, you know, they, they smashed it. And it's that sort of attitude that we really liked. Of- yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Um, so I now want to move on to your debut single, Malibu, which has been released last week. Am I right? Yes, last Friday, so six days ago. Last Friday. Oh, well, by the time people will be listening to this, it's probably been a quite a while, depending on how quite fast I edit. But <laughs> anyway, your your debut sal- debut single is now out. Um, it's fantastic, by the way, absolutely brilliant. I implore all anyone who's listening to check that out. Um, however, it was really interesting when I read your Instagram post when you released it. Um, you described the Malibu when you when you wrote it as being written as during the one of the lowest points in your lives. Can you explain a bit more about? what you meant by that yeah um so that was that was quite a rough period for both of us you know it, it was it was really it was sort of back end of covid after we'd been through all the lockdowns and stuff. i think lockdown was just easy and you know we'd, we'd both been through quite a lot me really badly yeah. and we both sort of put on a little bit of weight a little bit chunkier um my hair i grew my hair out wasn't looking great you know because we didn't have barbers or anything um you know I sort of went, we both went through breakups. Um, in that sort of time, I felt like I didn't have any space to let any steam off, especially. So it was dealing with all these sort of personal issues all at the same time, all also was being isolated. And everything sort of took its toll. It was like just getting kicked in the balls one, one, one time after another. I mean, on a scale of one to 10, how bad was it for you in that period? I would sound dramatic, probably 11. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's definitely on the worst end of that, you know, in, in those sevens, eights, nines, tens, to, you know, day to day. But, but we got to the point where we were sick and tired of feeling rubbish about it. Yeah. Um. So we were, and part of the angle on Malibu is, and like we said in the Instagram post a little bit as well, it's about a bit of an escape, a bit of a feel good. But it's this really, ca- you know, catchy boogie sounding song. Um. But about something when, if you listen to the lyrics a bit, it's you know it's 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 a more it's a it's more of a sad topic. So it's that juxtaposition which kind of comes through from the place we were in when we were writing. When you hear it now, do you um, is it a way of being able to cope through those feelings that you felt, or are you reminded of those negative feelings when you listen to it? Is it quite a hard thing to listen to, or is it a thing to you know really reflect on? thinking back to the, that time and thinking back to how we were feeling and obviously there are a lot of there were a lot of negative feelings going on at the time and, and listening to that song and, and playing that song does for me anyway it does remind me of that but then 
it puts it into perspective in the place that I'm in now, two years later, and I'm going, well, yeah, there was a lot of negativity there, but it's so much better now when it all started with this song. So it, it is a, it's, it's a, it's a real bittersweet thing. Yeah. Um, but in a good way. Yeah. It's well, a, it's a good bittersweet. I'm really being pretentious, I could say we have finally arrived in Malibu. That's a real Alan Partridge sort of <laughs> line. That. But I like it. Um, so you were talking about those emotions and, and how it was a really difficult time for you and that's what, what led you to, to writing this song and, and sort of making it more positive. Have you seen other bands around you, maybe bands you know or, or famous bands, um, who have used that time to create some amazing music? It seems to me like that was a in a lot of ways, a perfect thing for music. Yeah. Um, kind of, yeah. Yeah, so, so in, one, in one sense, you're right, it was, it, was a, it was a period with a lot of emotions for everyone. It was a period where a lot of people had a lot of time on their hands. So the creation of music, you know, indirectly really has probably flourished. The live aspect of it, which is so many musicians' livelihood now because of the things like payment rates from streaming, got completely decimated. So I think very much six or one half a dozen or the other. Yeah, a lot of them sort of dropped off the radar, which is quite yeah. sad. A lot of very talented acts as well. Yeah. And yeah. We, we heard a lot of stories, like especially from working with various promoters who pre-COVID were in a band. And then there's one guy we worked oh, with. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And his band split up. The bassist went off and joined the army. And just because the, the work dried up, there was no live scene to, to get into. What? Do you see as, you know, you mentioned the um, problem with streaming and that is becoming a massive news story nowadays with, with the amount that actual artists get paid from their streaming is so minuscule. Why do you think that is such a big problem in the music industry nowadays? This is right up my street because this is actually the subject of my dissertation. Um, oh, perfect. Here we go. Geek mode think, on. Well, I think that's another positive thing that actually came out of COVID because it's, it's on a spotlight on how little you know, you actually get paid for streaming. Um, my personal view on streaming at the moment um, is that, yes, you get paid for it, but it's more a form of advertisement than a product um, because that's not where the majority of the money comes from. And I think it's it's just about splitting it, like, like the way we do everything. Um, it's about splitting things equitably and fairly. Something, again, and it's another value that we really strongly yeah. align with that's the sort of thing streaming doesn't quite give you. Not yet, anyway. But with yeah. with with things like the parliamentary inquiry and um, big hearings in the US in the courts, like there is there is definite progress being made, and progress being made from streaming platforms as well. Streaming is a fantastic thing for the industry. It saved the recorded music industry. The way that it's being run is only going up. Um, so I think in that aspect, COVID was an important thing to happen. Yeah. Mm. Now, this is just a question I, I, I don't know, and this is why I want to ask it. You know, back in in the 60s and the 70s and, and you know, the older generation, I guess, bands would spend hours upon hours of recording uh, in the studio and with all these innovative, innovative sort of techniques, which still go on today. Um, do you see that idea of, uh, of streaming not being as... As, as fair on the artist as you know in some ways damaging creativity because people are less likely to go into the studio and spend a lot of time on their music because they don't get paid much from it um i don't i don't think so no because if you look at it people the people that even even if you go way way back people that were doing music and first became successful 
they weren't doing it you know they weren't doing it for the money people came and made money out of them um and even with like stuff like spending time in the studio like we love spending time in the studio um one of my well, another one of my best friends um one of our friends and out the producer that produced malibu um connor tucker um big shout out to him because talking about ingenuitive recording recording techniques the man the man knows every experimental recording technique under the sun and then comes up with his own so i don't think it i don't think it discourages people from going into a studio and spending time on on their music i think actually if anything it does the opposite it encourages you to try and do everything to to stand out yeah the reason why i asked that question is because i spoke to a student band in manchester and i was talking to their lead singer oscar and he was telling me about how um you know he loves playing live and he would always prefer to playing live than in, in than going into the studio um and he sort of said you know unfortunately because studios cost so much and that's a massive expenditure and you don't have the time to be creative you don't have the time to um to try out different things but then by the sounds of it you've got a friend that helps in that regard I think, I think, yeah, so the producer that we worked with, again, Connor is incredibly talented and, and definitely a consultant when, whilst we were producing the single, um, who has all this knowledge and stuff. And I think, I think that's one, you know, so to, you know, to Oscar, if you're listening, um, there is, there is a huge expenditure attached to recording studios, um, which I totally understand. And there always will be, um, because of the technology and the expertise it takes to operate them. Um, but find a good producer to pair with that because like no one, like no one knows everything. Um, it's so important and so helpful to feed off other people in this industry, to learn from other people. Um, and I think that's one thing. And another thing is, um, the prep work that goes into the studio beforehand, like this was our first time properly going into the studio and we were so surprised, weren't we, at the amount of prep work you need to do before you even get into the studio to start recording. That was the big thing we learned was organization. Like there was so much prep time, we needed to make sure that you know everyone knew what they were doing, everyone knew exactly what part they were going to do on the record, and sort of this organisation. We, we need this bit done by then. This bit, you know, we needed we needed to leave more time to make sure that everything was perfect. I think. Who are your rocks of support? Oh, rocks of support. Uh, that's an interesting question. Each other. Each other. <laughs> Apart from each other, externally. <laughs> so we had a great little support team around um, around the Malibu release. My mum is another person, I will say, who has been a massive musical influence for me since when I was like two. Um, and my girlfriend at the time now as well, who is just so supportive. And since we've been together, she hasn't missed a gig. And a massive shout out to her as well, because she's been fantastic. For me, it's a game so. Obviously, I've uh, got my uni mates, so like Chloe Dinzer, Fiona Harper, um, they've been really great, and my uh, my pub boys, we like to call ourselves. That's a story for another day. I get a lot of self-doubt sometimes, I'm sure many people do, and they've been great just to sort of turn to and sort of bat the self-doubt away, if you will, and you know, tell me when I've been silly, or, you know, it's people that have proper faith in me, which, you know, it's my parents as well, my, my, obviously my mum, love my mum. She's been there for me for forever. My dad as well. My dad's really good. He's um, he's quite stingy with his compliments. My dad. He's um, he has his own way of showing affection by saying, um, but it, it's it is it's nice that he is because it also pushes me to be better. I think. It's me no, I'll better. give out a shout. I need to just give a quick shout out to my dad and my younger brother as well because my mum, my dad, and my younger brother, as 
with Robin's parents and his brother have all made trips from hometowns yeah. to Manchester to see gigs and oh, yeah, yeah. you know you know both I think both sets of parents are so proud of what we've of what we've done and it's just it's nice to be able to repay that faith yeah so yeah. there's a yeah there's a lot of names there's a lot of names, a lot of names. um but, yeah we would be we'd, we'd be here for hours more if we were going to name drop every single person but there's a lot of names who who if it wasn't for them you know we wouldn't even you know we wouldn't be where we are um and we wouldn't be going to where we're going so fantastic well oh, brilliant right the last thing i do want to do is as promised um <laughs> expose my friend robin here um, so so for anyone who hasn't heard already um i made have made repeated references to interviewing these boys before and the, the time when i did interview them they were on my my radio show which i did with my friend jack um in manchester um where we did a a music quiz where i into well, i quiz these two on their musical knowledge now being from a, a student band you would expect them to, to to rise to the occasion but unfortunately well tom did but Rob, Rob, Rob didn't. Um, now, Rob, has your musical knowledge improved since then? Truthfully, right. This is this is the thing. Is my musical knowledge is very a bit west. It's not like my my knowledge in the pop world and um, that sort of area is quite limited, shall we say? I think it was. What, what was the question? Was it something about Club Seven that I got wrong? Yeah, but there was also some some Kanye West songs you got wrong. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there were <laughs> there were some shockers. You didn't know a Rolling Stones lyric, which was the second question of the quiz. But you know, we'll move past that. Yeah, the reason for that is I think because you were talking about influences earlier. My a lot of mine is like country music and very old. You know, Bakersfield sound, that type of stuff. The man probably couldn't name your Guns N' Roses album, but he could tell you like. <laughs> how long Brad Paisley's armpit hair is? <laughs> yeah, probably. Right. Well, look, I think what's going on here, Rob, is you're you're having a go at the at the question masters, which is not a good strategy if you want to. Oh no! You're asking me the wrong question. <laughs> <I can't. laughs> That's just his 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 um his band is what we would what what me and you Luke consider music knowledge, <laughs> and what most people consider music knowledge. It's slightly different to what my friend on my right thinks uh, music knowledge is. <laughs> well, that's all right, Rob. You know, you've got other things going for you. Don't worry. All right, boys. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure um, interviewing you again. You know, is there any last things you want to say about potentially any advice you'd give oh, to people sorry. in a position that you've gone through yourselves or any last notices before I, before I give some shout outs for you? Uh, yeah, yeah. Just keep going. Whatever, whatever you're doing, as long as you're enjoying it, just, just keep, just keep going to doing what you're doing to be happy. Um, you might end up somewhere where you're not feeling so good, but like we've said, I mean, we've, we've just named huge amounts of people who we've got around us. But when we were down, we didn't feel like we did. Um, so every, every, everyone, you, there's always people there to listen if you, if you're down. Um, just keep going with whatever you're doing. I'm sure you'll succeed. Yeah, don't be afraid to be different as well. Like as, yeah. as we were saying, like you know, I'm a bit of a country bumpkin. Just you know, if you have a bit of a West music taste, don't be afraid to incorporate that in. You know, what's your what's your social media handles, guys? So, debut single Malibu is out now on all major streaming platforms. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Champagne on the Rocks UK. You can find us on Twitter, though we're yet to post. 
at Rocks Champagne One, TikTok at Champagne on the Rocks, um, which we started doing now. So if you want some hilariously bad TikToks, go there. Um, I think that's all our social Spot, plugs. Spotify. Yeah, Spotify, Champagne on the Rocks, Apple Music, Champagne on the Rocks. Um, yeah, and if you're on TikTok as well, use the Malibu sound. There is an official one. Yeah, you can so use that so too. Bopping about in the kitchen or something. Perfect. Uh, so that concludes our interview, or concludes my interview with Champagne on the Rocks. Um, if you want to check out more of my podcasting, please follow my Instagram at Better Discussions Pod. You can find all of my interviews on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. I so believe. So I believe. Um, so thank you very much, boys, and have a lovely end to the summer. Thank you very much, Luke. Thank you for having us, mate. Better Discussions is a podcast edited and created by myself. As I mentioned at the end of the episode, if you would like to check out more of my podcasts, please follow my Instagram at Better Discussions Pod, where you can find a link to all of my podcasts that I've made, ranging all the way back to September 2021. Until next time, goodbye.